Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets come limping into the week, both literally and figuratively, having lost both games against former players last week and with another exciting young player going down to injury. But we are here and relatively healthy and are happy to talk hockey. I am Ryan Real, joining us for this week. Not yet on the injured list, Pale Dragon. PD, how are you? I'm all right. Suffering from a little bit of a pre-cold, but you're pushing through it. You're tough. You are a hockey blogger. <laughs> and Eric Seeds. Seeds, how are you? I'm just off the IR. You know, ankles better, elbows better. Soccer injuries are not uh, going to weigh me down. So I'm happy to be here and give hot takes all night. <laughs> yeah, there's no injury for that. So glad to hear it. Well, boys, like I mentioned in the intro, the Blue Jackets have lost four straight. But by the time you hear this, the streak may be over. They're playing Washington as we record this. El Polito is actually in the building watching. So either things are looking up when you hear this or we are all very sad. That said, games against Arizona, New York, and Florida did not go well last week. And we don't have to talk about Arizona. I think the meat of last week was the rematches against Panarin and Bobrovsky. So let's jump in. You two were at both games. PD, if you want to start with the New York game on Thursday, you were in the building for it. Yes. Well, and and as for Arizona... Uh, as I was driving home tonight and kind of mentally preparing notes for this, I realized like, wow, I don't remember anything about the Arizona game. And I, I know I watched it, but I don't remember anything about it. And then I realized I wrote the recap. <laughs> <laughs> and yet still not much about that uh, stuck in my head. I, I remember I, I ripped on Scott Harrington pretty bad, which I, I, I need to I think I need to apologize for that because. Really, the fault is on John Tortorella for playing Scott Harrington. It's not so much on Harrington. I mean, uh, you know, when a puppy is on the floor, you know, is it really the puppy's fault? So, right. Anyway, on to the New York game. Uh, that was, you know, you just knew that Panarin was going to do something great in that game against mm-hmm. us. You know, it was just inevitable, just a matter of waiting for that shoe to drop. That being said, it was not a terrible game on the Jackets' part, uh, especially in the third period. They were dominant. They were creating chances. Just none of them went in. They hit a few mm-hmm. posts. 
Georgiev played out of his mind, uh, mm-hmm. the Rangers goalie. And it was refreshing to know that we're not the only team that has suffered that fate on Sunday. The Rangers beat Vegas five to nothing. And that was another game where Vegas wildly outshot the Rangers. They had a much higher expected goal, but then got shut out. So that goaltender is is, is on fire and he played a great game, made 45 saves. I mean, that's when a goalie makes 45 saves. Yeah. Yeah. You have to tip the cap to him. Now, the first two periods, though, were not great. Seeds, can you quickly share with us the observation that you made yesterday in the Slack and on Twitter uh, about what this team reminds you of? Scott O'Neill. <laughs> Guys, do you, do you remember the 2011 season? Because I do. It sucked. It did suck. And yeah, when, when you have like lots of shots, yay. But then like, oh, were any of them quality? And so, yeah, first period against the Rangers, I thought the Jackets did control possession, but it never felt like they were really threatening the score. Uh, now, I will say, except for one time, which was when Cam Atkinson got a five on five goal. It took until Woo! December 5th, but he finally got it. So and it, was, it was a good goal on his part. That was nice to see. Uh, but then, of course, you know, gave up a goal with eight seconds left in the period, which you just that's an annoying habit that this team has had for a long I don't time. Know, I don't know if we lead. I don't know if there's an official stat about goals given up in the last minute, but I'd be willing to wager a not insignificant mo- amount of money that since we joined the NHL, we lead the league in goals allowed in the last minute of a period. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does seem like that. Uh, and that's that's very, very frustrating. But again, it, third period was great. I think by the end of the game, we had uh, like our expected goals was like 4.8 or something. And we scored twice. So uh, that's just it's a, such a frustrating thing that, to know that the game could have gone better, should have gone better. And for some reason, the goal is just fighting us. We just can't get those pucks actually in the net. My final observation on the game, I think we need to shout out, is Andrew Peek. Rookie mm-hmm. defenseman was making his NHL debut. Now he only got like 11 ish minutes, but in that time, he allowed one shot attempt against while he was on the ice. So, yeah. uh, so he looked, he looked pretty comfortable out there. Didn't make any like huge impact from what I could see when I was watching for him, but he was the kind of performance where, oh, I didn't notice him as a defenseman. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, yeah, they, you know, Rangers were not getting chances. While he and Gavrikov were on the ice, uh, you know, credits to Gavrikov as well, who's been having a great season and seeds. I know you can talk more about what he did on Saturday. Yeah, I guess that's a nice little segue into Saturday's game. I made the uh, trip down to uh, Sunrise to go see the Florida Panthers. Had never been to the BB&T Center, so that was a nice experience. Um, everything about the arena was it was pretty cool. Um, they do they do a great job of you know. One of the things I thought, first of all, I thought the first, the first, when you walk into the stadium, like you walk, you park, you walk up like the main entrance. And if you walk in, there's like two entrances. One entrance leads you to the concourse, like right in front of a, uh, like a beer stand, like a craft beer stand. The other one takes you right through the team shop. So I thought that was really cool that you just walk in there. Hey, there's all this merch. That was, that's a really nifty Mm. idea. Then like the, the, the Panthers, the crap, there wasn't a ton of people there. Um, not really surprised, I guess. The Jackets aren't great and conference championship Saturday, I guess. But there were there was more people there than I expected. Um, 
the all nice product or the uh, the in arena entertainment was fun. They had they did a really good job engaging the fans. I had a really good time. My biggest knock on the um experience in that arena was it was fourteen dollars for a tall boy of Labatt. I was not about that life. Mm. That was disappointing. So it's Miami for you. Yeah, I know that, that Miami costs a living, but it was but it was a lot of fun. Um the arena is kind of out in the middle of nowhere, like there, there legit is a shopping mall across the street. It's where I went and watched the second half of the Ohio State uh, Big Ten title game when the hockey game was over. But uh, but it was a lot of fun up until the game started, and then everything kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> so let's talk about the good from Saturday night first outside of the arena experience. And that is, as uh, Pale Dragon mentioned, Vladislav Gavrikov. Oh, my word, that dude is a warrior. That penalty kill happened right in front of where we were sitting, where he blocked three shots, was in complete agony on the ice, and still got up and went to try to block a fourth and refused to sit, or wouldn't come off the ice. Like, at one point, the entire kill unit changed except for him, and he stayed on the ice to make sure the Panthers couldn't get a, uh, an odd man rush into the zone, despite clearly being hurt. It was really nice to see Gavrikov play well, and then he was rewarded later in the game by scoring the only goal the Jackets, uh, hey, j- uh, live scoring update, the Blue Jackets just scored. Cam Atkinson apparently is on the board for the five on five. Breaking news. Break, breaking news. Cam Atkinson with a five on five goal from the slot. Really nifty passes there by Texier to Nyquist into Atkinson. So Jackets score first. They love that could be it. That could be a good line if they get things Cam going. Atkinson, two five on five goals in three games. Guys, slump might be busted. Let's, let's hope here. Woo-hoo. So anyway, yeah, Vladislav Gavrikov was rewarded on kind of a... It really wasn't a really all that dangerous shot, I didn't think. He just kind of let a wrister go from the from the blue line, and it found its way past Bobrovsky, who was well-screened by, I want to say, Josh Anderson. Um, Someone was in front of the net blocking Bob's view, and he didn't see it till late. But yeah, it was nice to see G- Gavrikov have an outstanding night for the Blue Jackets. Easily his best game of the season, I thought. As far as the bad goes, I'm going to go with every every single forward on the ice. They played terribly. Once uh, Florida scored 18 seconds in on a deflected goal that it, it, it hit it hit someone in front of uh, Elvis and he never had a chance. I don't you know, you know, people can see a 4-1 scoreline and think Elvis didn't play well. And I don't think that's true at all. Elvis played great down there in Florida. He he made he made one high right highlight real glove save in front of uh the away side where I mean, it, it was save of the year type stuff. He, it was incredible. But two of the two of the goals were deflections passed in that he really had no chance on. And then the third one was a stop. Stop me if you've heard this before. Um, one of the Blue Jackets forwards, in this case, Nick Felino, lost his marker on the backside and let someone skate into the uh, slot area totally unmarked. And one time a shot passed uh, Elvis where he had, again, no chance. And then the fourth goal was obviously the empty netter. So we we once again can't score. We once again couldn't find our way past Sergei Bobrovsky, which was incredibly frustrating because I didn't think Bob played all that well. We were just we weren't doing enough to move him laterally. We weren't doing enough to open shooting lanes by passing. There was, we, we kind of reverted to the same old Blue Jackets that we've seen of a lot of standing around, a lot of guys just, you know, catching the puck, turning, waiting, looking for guys rather than quick moving the puck it's which is what 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 you need to score in today's nhl and they just weren't doing it it was really frustrating to see and once the jackets fell down to nothing i 
I don't know. I didn't I didn't really have any hope of the team coming back just because of how they played. It just didn't look like they were going to generate any high danger chances. And they really didn't. Like I said, Gavrikov's goal was a low danger chance. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So can can I tell you what that description sounds like that you're just talking about? Sure. That sounds very similar to the same way that our power play has struggled for the last three years. It does. And so I was thinking about something. It's thinking about something this morning. So the power play, as we know, has been bad for a little while. And so, of course, we decided to direct a lot of blame on to Brad Larson. That seemed the most natural thing because he was the coach in charge of that. And then, so they brought in Paul McClain as a new assistant coach to take over some of that special teams coaching. And, and uh, you know, we got some initial results there from the power play. Even right before he was brought in, the power play was starting to show some, some bit of improvement. And we were wondering, some people were wondering like, well, you know, why, why is Brad Larson still at the job? And the line from the team was, well, you know, he coaches more than the power play. He also coaches the forwards and he's done some good things there. And, you know, and I can accept that as an explanation that, okay, just because he's bad at one thing doesn't mean he's bad at, at everything, right? You know, at that point, if someone's struggling mm-hmm. with one aspect of the job, well, then you, you reassign them, you focus them on what they do excel at. But if for the last few weeks, he has not been working on the power play, he's been focusing exclusively on the forwards, what does it say then that the forward play has been really, really bad? You know, it mm. reminds me of, of John C. McGinley's line in Office Space where he's like, what would you say you do here? <laughs> so, I mean, is Brad Larson just a people person or, or what, what, is, what is going on with these forwards? He's good at dealing with the GD customers, <laughs> first off. But no, that's a real problem. That's a very good point. And I think you're seeing it now with Bemstrom, who, like you pointed out, PD on Thursday, led the team in five-on-five ice time. He's out. We don't know for how long now. And you can sense Tortorella's frustration talking about having to develop Texier as a center because Winberg's not doing his job and there's not enough pieces right now. And it's it's scary considering how lauded and the forward prospects are. They're just not ready yet. But, you know, we all summer, we heard, you know, Panarin's gone. That's a big blow. Dezingle's gone. Duchesne's gone. But there's so many guys fighting for a spot and the answer's in the room and the group's here. And it's not like a lot of these guys are new to the Jackets. Very few are. And that's concerning. Exactly what you're talking about. And we're talking about the veterans of the basketball week. Felino not getting it together. Cam's gone missing. Wenberg, Anderson, all these guys. And you're right. There has not been any improvement in that area. Yeah, so you mean you worry about the veterans regressing, and then you worry about the rookies not developing, you know? And it's very bad to have both of those things happening at the same time. Right, mm-hmm. like, the, the, I mean, I don't. I, I think we all thought 
at least I did. I'm sure you guys thought there would be at least some regression from the forwards. They weren't going to do everything they did last year. You know, we had, what, seven 20-goal scorers last year or something like that. But Josh Anderson had a had a had an assist on Vladislav Gavrikov's goal on Saturday night. That is the third game this season in which Josh Anderson has had a point. I mean, that's that's Oof. bad, guys. And I mean, granted, he missed you know five games with an injury earlier this year, but we're still you know close close to Christmas here. That's that's really not good. Cam Atkinson, you know, obviously breaking news. He, he just scored you know that that goal that opening goal in Washington, but. He hasn't been he hasn't been lighting the world on fire this season. Um, Winberg has been so bad that he was healthy scratched and Torts came out before the Washington game and said the only reason he's even in the lineup in this Washington game is because of the injury to Emil Bemstrom. Like he's very clearly lost his spot. He's he's not even playing center in this game. He's playing on the left wing of Riley Nash on the fourth line. Like we just have a lot. we, We have a lot of we have a lot of players regressing. And unfortunately, Kind of, kind. We we have a lot. We have a real weakness at the center position, which is probably the most important position on the ice outside of like goaltending. We don't, you know, Boone Jenner wasn't a natural center. Texie is developing. We've got PLD and Riley Nash is down on the fourth line, and that's really about all we got. It's it's tough. It's and the Wenberg thing is really frustrating because I thought that for the first two months of the season uh, that he was actually playing pretty well. Now he wasn't any world beater. He wasn't lighting up the scoreboard either with goals or assists, but you look at the underlying stats and just based on the eye test, you know, he was doing all right. Uh, he, especially defensively, you know, he was on the ice. Uh, opponents were not getting a lot of good chances against, so he was still, he was finding ways to contribute. But even that has fallen off now in the last few weeks and it, and I don't understand why. Um, and I guess that's been a problem with him throughout his career just getting finding that consistency from him. Now, you know, I've written a lot about how I feel like he needs consistent line mates. I don't know if that has been a contributing factor because the lines have been blended so much. I worry with sometimes with the rookies if maybe that has hurt them as well, that they could have been better served by playing with, you know, one set of line mates and then just developing with them, learning with them rather than having to adjust to new line mates in every game. But yeah, it, it's it's sucks to see that inconsistency from Wenberg um, and Cam and Anderson. They those guys, I think the the team was very strongly counting on to at least be treading water this season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we knew that we would lose some offense with Panarin because he was just such an elite playmaker and can make everyone around him better. Um, but you thought that making up at least part of his production would come from. Gus Nyquist, and then would come from some combination of the forwards. But we thought that, you know, the PLD, Bjorkstrand, Cam, Andy, that these guys would be able to continue doing what they had been doing. And uh, Dubois and Bjorkstrand, they're doing it. Those guys have been solid all year. But for Cam and Anderson, not even just to not match last year, which was a you know a career year for both of them, but to like not even be up to their career average pace is really frustrating because we shouldn't have to be making up, shouldn't have to be carrying their slack as well. Right, and and, and, and Anderson then, and then Anderson's on a, having yeah. a worse season than like Jakob Lilia is. I mean, he, that, that's where that's where Anderson's pace is yeah. right now, and you'll notice Lilia's been in Cleveland since November first. Like, 
Yeah. So I don't know if it's, you know, they mentioned that Anderson has that shoulder injury that he suffered uh, at the end of the playoffs last year. So I don't know if that has been a factor, but it's not necessarily like he's playing like an injured player. It's not just about him, like not going out there throwing hits. Like he's not shooting the puck like he used to. And, mm-hmm. and Cam Atkinson is, he's at least shooting generally, but he's shooting from farther away. He's not making quality shots. And, and and it's, what's baffling is that, you know, I'm no hockey expert, but I'm watching the games and I'm seeing what they're doing wrong. And, you know, you got to think the coaches are seeing it. The coaches are pointing out, the players are watching the tape. They're seeing it. And it's like, just, do do the thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. is, is it that is it that hard to not just you know like it, it was it was really mind blowing when McLean got brought in and the players are saying like oh well we haven't got a lot a lot of time to work with him yet but one thing he told us was oh you know just to to be closer to the net and you could see that in the power play then like oh yeah that they're getting getting shots a lot closer in and it's like. Was it really that simple? You just needed someone from outside the team to tell you to take <laughs> shots from closer to the net? Are you kidding me? Oh, gosh. I have a, I have a pop trivia uh. question for you guys right now. Speaking of just shooting and not, not taking quality shots, right? I've got a pop trivia question for yep. you. We have four players on this roster who have played 10 games or more that have a double-digit shooting percentage. Can you name the four? Dubois. There's one. Uh, Milano? Nope. Hmm. I was thinking it could be him because he hasn't nope. shot enough. Bjorkstrand? The answers are, um, he doesn't qualify because I, I set the cutoff at 10 games, but uh, Eric Robinson has played nine games. That's 25%. The other three, Marcus Nudevara at 14.3, PLD <laughs> at 13.3, Alex Texier at 12.1, and Gus Nyquist at 10.3. We're not shooting the puck well um, at all. So I think that's what has been an undercurrent that has been very frustrating is the lack of excuses for this team. And I mean that because Jackets fans had a pretty good idea of what this team is. It's easy for everybody else, the national media fans from other teams to say they lost Panera and they lost Bob. They're done. A fair chunk of this fan base thought so too. And I can see that, but we've watched a lot of this team play. We've watched a lot of these guys. We know what they're capable of. And it's not like, it's not like they've lost hundreds of man games to injury. If that happens, all right, yeah, sure. That that's fine. We expect this team to be sub 500, sure. Brandon Dubinsky's not saving this team. No. He's fine. They they've been relatively healthy. You could you could definitely see the impact with Zacharinsky, Bemstrom, who knows. But it's not injuries, right? It's not injuries. There's nothing evident besides the on-ice play. You know what I mean? There's no external factors. There's no locker room drama. There's no some sort of uh, franchise are they going to relocate there's right. no it's they have fan support there's no evident reason why this right. team should not be playing better and that is what is really there, there really is frustrating. no i mean losing panarin sucks I, I mean he was a great playmaker who could carry the puck into the zone you know whatever but he is not losing that one guy however good he is should not crater this offense the way it has i don't and, and that's what's incredibly frustrating because mm-hmm. Even like, like I like I know we lost Panarin, but there's no reason that should be the issue. And I and I don't and I refuse to believe that losing that one guy is the reason for this. So it's got it. It's frustrating because, like you said, there's there's no explanation otherwise for what is going on with this with this offense. There is no explanation to how they just 
I don't Thelma and Louise themselves or Bonnie and Clyde or whichever <laughs> just right off the cliff. Yeah. There, I don't I do not understand and, and, it. And part of my point that I went to say is that I don't want anybody to lose their jobs, but everybody's job on the coaching staff is safe because of the loss of Panera Bobrovsky, right? Like, oh, we had higher internal expectations, but you really can imagine, you know, it, nobody's losing their job for the season uh, un, unless, this is what I was thinking about today while I was washing the dishes, like, A, at what point, and we don't have to get into this now, but at what point do you say, all right, that's it for the season? We're, we're not necessarily, it's not a fire sale, we're not packing up, but what do you say like, hey, Josh Anderson, maybe you really are hard, maybe you spend some time rehabbing, we don't need you out there. When do you look at making a coaching change? And I'm not saying they need to do that because of the expectations dictating that. And and so what I'm saying is there's no readily apparent reason why they're not doing so well, but the expectations were so mixed as such that they're not, they're, they're not, nobody's, nobody's going to lose their job for a 500 year, I think. And, and I don't know at what point you make the decision that to start, you know, playing kids, who cares, call some kids up. Not yet. It's still 2019. But it's just such this this weird purgatory, this weird limbo they're in where they don't totally, totally suck, but they're not getting any better. And and it's kind of keeping everything in this weird funk. They yeah, they I remind think. me they remind me of like the mids around like the 2006-ish Minnesota Timberwolves. They're too good to be bad and too bad to be good, you know? They're just there. Oof, that's in, good. I mean, they're just yeah. there. It's 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 and it's in you, you know some nights they can look like a world beater but some nights they're just they just flat out no show. People are like oh this team sucks now I'm like no no this this isn't a this isn't a bad team this is like on paper this should be a at least a competitive team you know sure a fringe playoff team at best but you know they shouldn't be getting run off the ice you know they should be able to score some goals they should be able to stop some goals. Uh, and we've seen games like that Pittsburgh game after Thanksgiving. That was a great game. That was a great team effort. And and yeah, it's it's frustrating to know that they're capable of putting together a game like that, but that they're not capable of putting it together on a consistent basis. And every team is going to have a bad night here and there. But this is a Jekyll and Hyde team. We don't know which Jackets team is going to show up on which night. And like against the Rangers, they could have a a decent night and then still lose just because of really bad puck luck or whatever. And um, mm -hmm. so the frustrating mm -hmm. thing we were talking about the goalies is that they have zero margin for error. You know, like I'm willing to forgive mm -hmm. a goalie for giving up maybe one or two bad goals if they, if that's all that they give up. But with this team, because the offense has been so bad, we can't afford for those goalies to make those mistakes because we can't count on the offense to make up for it. Um, something that made, what frustrated me was an article from Dom Lushizen at The Athletic, where he pointed out that the Jackets had the um, largest gap between their expected goals against and their actual goals allowed. And it's true that that, 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 that is the case. But, and he was pointing out to that, like, oh, well, it's the goaltending, then that's the problem. And I want to say, no, that's not the problem. Because, yeah, based mm -hmm. on expected goals allowed, the Jackets have like a top five defense, essentially. And but even the actual goals allowed were were not bottom of the league. It's we're like in the middle range, really, uh, especially like at five on five. 
But, and now on offense, the actual goals scored and the expected goals scored are fairly in line. So it's not even like the offense is unlucky. They're just, this is what they are. But what they are is bottom five in the league. This is a really bad offense. Whereas if they had just been like a league average offense, then, and considering how many one goal games we've had, that would change so much about the season and give us such a different outlook on on where this team is. If the offense were anywhere near average, which again, based on, if you look at every player's career numbers, that's what the offense should be. It should be an average offense, mm-hmm. and it's just not. I also think that our place in the standings, it's not just based on how the team is played. It is, this is a crazy good year in the Eastern Conference, and in the Metro Division in particular. Uh, consider, like, Florida is second place in the Atlantic. They would be sixth place in the Metro. Mm. That's how good the Metro is. And uh, let's see. Let's look at the other divisions. Yeah. Second wild card in the West is Vancouver at 34 points. And uh, that would be, again, not in the playoffs. That, that right. would be <laughs> they're three points behind Carolina, who is the second wild card in the East. Um, so that makes things worse for the Jackets because it's a higher hill to climb than normal. And we've had a very difficult schedule over the first two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think fewer than 10 games against, you know, the other teams that are in the bottom 11 of the league. So now I've also saw where we should have one of the easier schedules in December. So having started out with three regulation losses is not an ideal way to start that month. Right. And that's another thing that was so frustrating about last week against, you know, Arizona and New York. Those are teams that, a league average team, which the Jackets are supposed to be, would, and and I know Thursday was a lot of luck, but still, I mean, like it, you you come away from a game like that against, you know, Boston, and you're like, okay, well, that was a hell of a game, but just short, and it's so much more frustrating against the Rangers because that's a team in your division that you should, you know, be able to handle if you look at the numbers like that. So, that said, Penguins and Senators this week, I would love to see another game, like the last one against Pittsburgh. I don't know how confident I am, but that sure would be great. Yeah, well, huh? a friend of mine before, I think it was after the Rangers game, said he's like, I see three points on this four-game road trip. And I really, I couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't argue him on that. And I thought, I figured there'd be no points in Washington or Pittsburgh. And then, yeah, I thought maybe one overtime and one win when it comes to Florida and Ottawa, but... Now we're really already in a hole there, having lost in regulation in Florida. What do you guys think? Can we, can we still salvage three <laughs> points in these remaining three games? No. Um, I'm a man of simple requests. I ask for multiple goals in every game to end this week. That's all I want. Just show me that you can do it in three straight games, please. That's all I'd like. Um, and we'll go from there. Just start building on multiple goals, please. Maybe try and get the offense kind of figured out. i tell you what. I'd like to see them hit 10 high danger chances in two straight games this week. That's what I would like to see. I'd be content for like three goals on a regular basis. You know, mm-hmm. that would be nice. Like in the entire month of November, they scored at least three goals. What? Six times. That seems out bad. Of 14 games. Yeah. yeah. That's not great. Yeah. And when the goal is are doing yeah. pretty good at allowing really no more than three. 
both Corby and Elvis. And it felt like so many of those games in November were one goal games. Yeah. And we talk so much about expected goals. One goal here, one goal there. It's a different calculus, but again, frustrating. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, boys, we're actually almost out of time here. We can go around for final thoughts. Seeds, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, my final thought has nothing to do with hockey and everything to do with Disney. I don't know if we've had a hockey-related final thought in quite a while, but go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> Last night on the plane ride home, I finally, years and years late, watched Moana. Oh, it's a classic. Guys, that movie, that guys, guys, that movie is incredible. Like even putting my love for the rock aside, um, that movie ruled. The message ruled. The story is great. Great message for, you know, kid kids who realize that, you know, like, like, like I love the story in that Moana kind of fails, wants to give up, kind of does give up. And then finds it within herself to come back and I, I'm spoiling the movie for anyone who hasn't seen this yet, but she finds it within herself to come back and complete her mission on her own terms without some adult giving her a pep talk. And that's a really powerful message for kids who, you know, kind of re- need to realize that, you know, they'll fail and they if they want to come back and do something, they can do it on their own time and on their own terms. I thought that movie ruled and also The Rock is great and everything. So. Yeah, I loved Moana and I will it's been added to my probably top three Pixar movies of all time. Great film. PD. Well, I had no idea what I was going to say for a final thought, but you brought up Disney. So I will say that even as a 35 year old childless adult, uh, I did purchase a Disney Plus subscription and it's proving to be well worth it. It's a staggering amount of contents that they have there in their catalog and uh, I enjoy a lot of it. I've uh, been watching, you know, going back, watching some old Muppets content that they have on there. Uh, and I've been really enjoying The Mandalorian, which is yes. one of their original series. Uh, I've always been a big Star Wars fan. And this is the kind of I didn't realize how much I needed a show that was essentially a Western, but set in the Star Wars universe. Hmm. Uh, so, someone at The Ringer compared it to the show Justified which is also my favorite TV show of all time. It definitely has a lot in common with that. Jon Favreau is, has done an amazing job writing the series, producing the series. There's been a lot of fan service, but I'm a fan. And so <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy for that. Uh, and I'm just really excited to, to see where it's going. It's nice to see a, a series, a show that also takes just as long as it needs each week to tell a story. You know, it doesn't have to stretch it out to 45 minutes to an hour. I mean, there's times where I'm sad that it's only like a 35 minute episode, but I'm also glad that there's not any filler. It's just an efficiently told story and the it's just very, very fun. And so if you're a Star Wars fan, you have to see The Mandalorian. Are you quick poll? Are you guys fans of the binge model or the drip model? The once a week versus throw them all online at the same time. I kind of like having... I don't know. Some shows I think are better to binge and some shows I think are OK coming out a week at the t- at a time. I I don't mind in this case, you know, oh, it's Friday. There's a new episode dropped. Uh, the same thing happened with the uh, Great British Great British Baking Show also mm-hmm. on Netflix. Sure. The latest season, they decided to air it simultaneously with it airing in Britain. So there's a new episode dropping every Friday. And that was tough for me because I had binged all the previous seasons all in a row last fall. So it was an adjustment, but uh, I eventually got used to it. And I thought that that was 
fine. Uh, I, I like kind of the mixed model sometimes where they will maybe for a new show, they'll drop like three episodes at once. Yeah. And then weekly after that, I think that's kind of a nice hybrid way to do it. Okay, so my take on it is um, I like being able to binge shows just because I want to consume as much of the content as possible. Like for The Mandalorian, I want as much Baby Yoda content as I can possibly get. <laughs> I would lay down my life for this little puppet Baby Yoda without a second's hesitation. But I don't think it would be it would be the cultural phenomenon that it has been for the last three weeks if you could binge it. I think it would just be gone. And like yeah. like the my the, the two shows I've been watching religiously this this fall season have been The Mandalorian and The Watchmen limited run on HBO both of which are just released once a week and I'm thoroughly engrossed in both of them I find myself having conversations about both shows all week either on Twitter or on various blog sites um so I, I really enjoy being able to take the time and digest and, you know, rewatch an episode before the new one comes out. So in that sense, I think the drip has been I think I think the drip method is better. But for something like a comedy like, I don't know, Parks and Rec, being able to binge, it's just fine. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good point about like having the, the conversation about it and you know making memes about it. Like if you think about, say, Stranger Things. You know, when that episode, that third season dropped this summer, like people talk about it for like a week mm -hmm. and then that kind of faded away. We moved on to the next thing. So by stretching it out, you're getting, you know, a month or six weeks or eight weeks that people are talking about the content. I mean, that's the Game of Thrones argument that it was an on it was yeah. on at a time and a night that everybody could watch. And it was once a week. And that I've read that, you know, that was an argument as to why it blew up so much, because it had that once a week appointment viewing model. So my final thought, we like to talk about colleges on here. I'm going to give a quick shout out to Presbyterian College in South Carolina. Hosted the first ever Division I women's wrestling duel on Saturday. I was there. It was a packed house. It was very fun. So they're their first Division I school to have women's wrestling. And they held a home event for the first time. And uh, it was a good time. So Wrestling, if you have not watched college wrestling, it's very fun. It does not take a long time to watch unless you're doing like an individual tournament weekend. And it's gross. It's a gross sport. I'll say that. I don't think anybody would argue that. <laughs> but it is, uh, I'm, I'm talking about like septically and hygienically and everything. But it's very cool and there's very cool stories. And it's also a very good sport because it's one-on-one -on -one, and so the crowd really gets into it even if you don't know what you're watching it's it's very easy to figure out the scoring and so if you haven't watched college wrestling it's college wrestling season and it will be for a while so uh, give it a shot if you haven't okay that's it and i just want to give a quick plug to elaine she is we were talking about playing hurt she is she is ill tonight so we're wishing for her to get well otherwise we would have had some monsters content on the show but you can always check out elaine's monsters content and all of our blue jackets content at jacketscanon.com all right, our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Check out her new album, 430, at AngelaPurley.com. Rate us, leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. And as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCanon and find us at JacketsCanon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.
I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.